0: Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, welcome to this week's Countryside Podcast with Kiri Kermit and myself, Simon Clark. And, well, political member Tim Baker I speak to about all sorts of things. His trip to Oxfordshire for the one of the farming conferences. And also, um, of course, continuing the drive for people to you know, continue to buy as much manx produce as they can and use as much as they can. Of course, finding out where government maybe can improve on that as well and also... Yeah, The old dreaded meat plant. Oh, Uh, gosh. We'll have a (laughs) chat about that. Um, You're talking more rural. I can smell it now. Oh, Uh, can you Continuing on from from the Grassland Awards, you took a trip to Ballas Shamrock, haven't you?
1: I have. I went along to see David Collister to see what makes the best silage. He was the overall winner this year, and um, we talked everything grass, really.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, because you'll hear in the programme that... not just farming that they, they're knowledgeable about, uh, the, the animals and stuff like that. They, they've got to have a bit of knowledge about how, how the grass is growing and the best they can get out of it with fertiliser and things, isn't it? That's
1: absolutely right. The um, soil analysis has to be right to grow these plants. But these, these plants are actually getting designed in labs for the, the best yield, you know, the early growth or later maturing. It's absolutely fascinating what technology and science goes into agriculture now. Yeah.
0: There's changes in order to the Isle of Man pet exportation and importation laws and clarification of that because uh, obviously there is some tricky old diseases around parts of the world and we don't really want them here on the island.
1: No, it's absolutely vital that we find the history on these animals that do get imported and exported to, to safeguard our uh, good health state is here on the Isle of Man.
0: Yeah, because um, the, the way that things are here, that, I mean, people moan about the paperwork, I suppose, but it's, you know, it, it's a good thing in such a way and it's very thorough and we're lucky that we've got the buffer, I suppose, of the UK between us and Europe and parts of the world as well, isn't it?
1: That's right. We do criticise that journey between us and the UK, but it does keep things at bay.
0: Yes, it does. So here's this week's Countryside. Manx Radio's
2: Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, over recent years
0: here on the Isle of Man, there's been many drives to encourage people to use as much of the Manx produce produced on the Isle of Man as practically possible. One person that's took an interest in it is political member for DEFA Tim Baker. I asked him about that, but first of all, I asked him about his recent trip to Oxfordshire for a farming conference.
3: It was very good, Simon. Yeah, we were at the uh, Oxford Farming Conference, which is the uh, leading gathering of the industry in the UK. It was myself, from a political point of view, and uh, some of the members uh, from the DEFER team. Two key elements to it. I Obviously, there's a networking element, but the political element of hearing what's going on with the political leaders in, in the UK, and also uh, the industry talks and uh, sharing of knowledge and, and stories about what's working and what's not working. It helped me a lot because this is my first time in, in DEFA. I've picked up an awful lot over the last three or four months, but it was great to be able to put that into context in the wider picture.
0: Yeah, and I suppose you, you can learn a lot by talking to people on the Isle of Man, but I suppose you get a, a broader Spectrum of it and thinking what the UK and Wales, Scotland, where their problems are lying compared to the Isle of Man.
3: That's right and there's a surprising degree of similarity really between the issues that everybody's facing. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of pressure on farming businesses and a a lot of energy being directed into trying to find ways to move forward in a difficult climate and of course we've got the shadow of change around things like Brexit which makes it very difficult for people to plan but also conversations around you know, what future support payment structures may may or may not be in place beyond uh, the next few years. So my overriding theme was of uncertainty and of trying to find a path through in challenging times.
0: A lot of diversification being spoke about over there too?
3: Yes, both in terms of markets. So obviously the UK has been very much integrated in terms of Europe, but opportunities to open up into, into other uh, markets, China, the US for example, were, be mentioned but also in terms of the actual products and that people produce as well so very much a theme of trying to look at where the market's going and trying to move with the times we, we heard some really successful stories of businesses that were market focused evolving from very traditional structures to actually find some real real growth and that was very encouraging key messages for me were, were very much about working in collaboration and also having a very much a, a marketing led focus for the successful organizations that we we heard from.
0: The Isle of Man governments, I suppose departments uh, where they're sourcing their food from in different areas uh, on the Isle of Man is is a concern as well by the sound of things.
3: It is Simon, yes. I put a motion down in uh, in Timwold on, on Tuesday and uh, a very positive reaction from my colleagues to recognise that actually we need to do better in directing government expenditure to the island economy and um, We've got a great story to tell in terms of Manx produce. Government needs to be uh, embracing that to the maximum extent possible. So government catering feeds about 15,000 people a day. That many? Yeah, that's the, the figures. We've got all the school meals, we've got the hospital, there's some commercial outlets such as at the NSC and government, government canteen. But yeah, 15,000 meals a day. And that's a potentially huge market for Manx meat, for Manx potatoes, Manx veg, Manx bread. And the concern I had, and I still have, is that under the pressure that the health service faces because government catering services sits within health service that they can make short-sighted decisions which which actually substitute away from max produce for inferior and cheaper imported products and you know that's not it's not what i want to see i don't believe it's what the max public wants to see either is it a difficult one though
0: with you know people might look at it and think well if you're going to Maybe pay a couple of pence more for Manx stuff, but you know what you get, and you support the Isle of Man economy. But that will mean the nurses or something get paid two pence less. <laughs> is that is that all going to be taken into consideration,
3: though? Well, I mean, clearly you can only spend money once, but the key not having an accountant. <laughs> the key point is there's a multiplier effect, so you know money recirculated round round the local economy feeds on. So. It feeds through the processors into the farmers, into the subcontractors, to the local economy, the pubs, the shops. And um, it's a recognised economic fact that locally spent money regenerates itself effectively and has a multiplier effect. So, yes, in the short term, if you've got a budget of a certain amount, you spend it on one thing, you can't spend it on something else. The reality is if you spend it in the right way, it feeds through and actually starts to create a virtuous circle. And my view is that the island, particularly in the agricultural sector, got itself in a little bit of a downward spiral and we need to break out of that that's the job of government really to try and drive that forward and we need to look beyond the obvious to actually think a bit more widely talking about the obvious the meat (laughs) plan you're having a meeting with that
0: Um, i suppose the government and the department are trying to get their teeth in to maybe find some sort of solution to help
3: it absolutely there's been a process ongoing for uh, the last few months where we've been looking working with the Farmers' Union, with the uh, Agricultural Marketing Society and the and the Board of Alman Meats to try and find how we should move forward. I think it's no secret that Alman Meats has been a challenging situation for a long time. Some of the things that we've seen happening in, in Manx Agriculture over the past few months really reflect the issues at Alman Meats and um, we need to, uh, to find a better way forward that works for everybody. It's, what we've got at the moment is... Uh, It's falling short for the industry, it's falling short for government as well. We've got a meeting to uh, talk to the uh, agricultural community about where we are, about thoughts on how we move forward, and uh, to let them have a briefing, but also to be able to input and and share thoughts about their perspective as well. So, you know, very much encourage people to come along. It's at Peel Golf Club, Thursday the 9th of uh, February at 7 o'clock. You know, I think it's a very positive... Session, which will then lead on to some further work to get where we where we want to get to with uh, with Allerman Meats. meets. Won't people say, well, won't it be the same old things that said? Or
0: if the the department come up with some, maybe be thinking, get their thinking caps on together, and maybe come up with some suggestions that they can put forward to
3: the people it's going to affect. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of work over the last few months, and uh, and it's been very, it has been very collaborative. Some great work done by the department officers. Together with with the Farmers Union and the Board of Alamun Meats and the Agricultural Marketing Society, so we're not starting with a blank sheet of paper. We talk about what's been done and where our thinking is, and very much an interactive discussion. And yes, there will be a degree of cynicism that we've been here before, and um, uh, you know, is it going to be any different this time? What I would say is, we're very much into making positive decisions and, and actually trying to move forward. and um, you know, I see this as, as being a key stepping stone in the process. Yeah, don't be scared. No, not at all, no. I mean, you know, we we recognise that there are issues, but issues need solutions, and um, it's about embracing that and saying, OK, what can we do, what should we do, and then let's get on with it. Political member for DEFA, Tim Baker there, telling me about uh,
0: all sorts of things, from the meat plant, uh, f- local food, uh, what they can do there, and, of course, the conference that uh, he attended in Oxfordshire and it's nice I suppose that they're getting uh, going to the different areas and finding out you know even if you pick up just a little bits of interest in facts or changes that maybe they're implementing that, that can help little change can can make a big difference at the oh, end it of it. Oh, certainly
1: can. It it makes a a little bit of knowledge certainly helps in agriculture but in any industry as well. But new ways, new methods making life easier. Um it, it you know was very welcome.
0: Mm. Not many new methods in grass production we heard you you talking on last week's program to the judge from the Isle of Man Grassland uh, Society Awards and uh, this week you've caught up with uh, one of the one of the winners on the Isle of Man.
1: Yes, this week I caught up with David Collister, the overall silage clamp winner, to find out what kind of grasses is needed for this very special competition.
4: Historically, we would have been looking for production and yield. In the recent past, we've changed our tack a little bit, so we're willing to sacrifice a little bit of yield for a a better quality. So we're looking for a late-heading perennial ryegrass mixture of tetraploid and diploid, we would be, be aiming for the maximum amount of leaf quantity rather than the overall yield. That's what we're looking into at the moment.
1: So would that plant grow quite quickly? You know, would you get an, an earlier harvest from it?
4: The varieties we're growing now, not quite as early as, as we would have done previously. Yeah. The, the higher yielding varieties would be an earlier cut in grass. These ones that we're growing now are slightly later maturing and a slightly slower growing. So again, that's that's some of where your yield is lost, basically. But again, we're looking for maximum quality. These particular type of grasses now that we're aiming for also give us a lot more flexibility for grazing later in the season. So we'll take two cuts of silage off them, and then that gives us a lot more flexibility for grazing young stock and dry cows later on.
1: So they're a lot more modern. They've been designed especially for this production. You know, the farmer's demanding good income. You know, it's a business at the end of the day. So these plants are designed for the ultimate. Business drive.
4: Yeah, certainly. I mean, maybe that tack that we're taking with these later heading varieties, that has been around a long time. And that's what people would have been looking for. And these hybrid ryegrasses and uh, Italian ryegrasses sort of came in. And I would have said that we're looking to, to phase those back out. But yeah, you're quite right. It's a business. We're here to make money. And we're just trying to utilise all of these grass breeders' developments and the different varieties that are coming through to our best advantage. Yeah.
1: And will you have to use good crop rotation around the farm? You know, will the soil affect you know, some fields will be better production one year than another year? Do you have to keep moving the grasses to different fields? Because it demands a lot of energy from the soil, I imagine.
4: Yeah, and the varieties that we're growing at the moment, we would hope to get maybe six or seven years out of them. Then we would break those lays out and it would follow with a green crop, which right. we would use to outwinter stock. In the first instance and then that would follow with a couple of years worth of cereals and the aim of the cereals is that we can operate a quite a robust spray program to clear out any long-term weeds out of the lays and then they would be sown back down hopefully for another six or seven years again after that so While the grass has broken out we get a chance to correct any imbalances in the soil so any lime deficiencies we would correct any p and k deficiencies and set the ground up right again for another six years worth of play.
1: So is there an ultimate date for getting your first cut of silage I know it's always there keeping an eye on the neighbour but is there is there a certain date for your farm in particular?
4: The date is actually dictated by the varieties of grasses that you're growing so that's and the area that you're in Um, I would have said that down the north you'd be a little bit earlier a bit warmer grass has grown a little bit quicker the date for us now is usually the um, end of the second week or the third week in May but it is very much season dependent how the grass has grown what the weather's like, but that's when we would aim for, so that we make sure we can get second cut in in good time and still have that residual grazing later in the season.
1: When David Wilde was over judging this competition, he was delighted to, to see your clamp. It was absolutely everything that he wanted. Do you use additives when you're storing the grass?
4: No, we don't. Um, there was an old adage from an advisor that used to to, to come round or still does some call round. Um, he, he said, you'd be better spending the money on a holiday. <laughs>
1: oh, so, No! <laughs>
4: So we've always taken that approach. <laughs> but no, uh, David was obviously talking about additives. He, he feels there would be a financial benefit. Some years I would have said you get away with it. Again, yeah. if you've got sun when you're cutting and the weather's dry, you can get away with these things. As an insurance policy, it, it might be something that we would look into in the future.
1: And the, the weather, like you said before, it has to be of good condition to do the harvest. Some of these years haven't been the best. And will you see a marked difference in your milk production?
4: Certainly Yeah, I mean, we generally try not to delay in cutting because it knocks everything else back for the year. So if we are having a period of bad weather, we would normally cut and just be glad of what we've got. But it does definitely. It makes a huge amount of difference. The system we operate here is a very low concentrate. We don't feed a lot of grains or cereals. We don't feed any cake. So the cows don't really get a huge amount of energy for anything else. So it's critical to us that we get the, the silage right. If it is a poor year, like you've described, then we do sacrifice some yield. But we yeah. would do that knowingly and we just have to take it on the chin and hope for a better year <laughs> next year.
1: With silage clamps, there comes a lot of hard work, obviously throwing tyres and keeping the clamp airtight. You know, is it more mechanised now than before?
4: Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've only, we only put the pit in last year. And we were doing doing bales, or mostly bales. So it's been a bit of a culture shock to us, a bit of a change in system. Um, We did operate a a small pit to give it a go two years ago. But um, I would have said overall that the workload is reduced from having the pit rather than the bales. There's a lot less unsheeting and a lot less waste as far as plastic. To deal with, yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, it's uh, it is more mechanised. Yeah, we can we can put the tyres where we want them with the machines, and you buy these sort of covers now, so you can cover larger areas, and you don't need to tyre the whole pit. All
1: right. So
4: yeah, I would have said it is a lot better, and the further as time goes on, I'm sure it'll develop even further.
1: And are all the cows wintered? I know you keep some out for the on the green crops, but we try and get most cows in through the winter time. We operate a
4: split system here, so roughly. A third of the cows would carve in the autumn and they would be housed from late October, early November through to the first week in February. And when I say housed, that's full time. And then in February, those cows would be going out by day. And early, isn't it? Yeah, the, the other two thirds of the group then would start carving in that first week in February and they would carve through February, March and into April. And as they carve, obviously they're going straight out to, to grass by day. And they're normally out night and day by um, April, full-time at least. Some years, if we're lucky, we can get them out in March. But those cows that are calving in the spring, they wouldn't be housed at all, really. We would um, dry them off in the back end when, when the grass runs short, normally the last week in November or into December. And as I say, they would be wintered on green crop. They would come in to calve for a week or two, and then they're, they're out again. So... it. Yeah, it works well.
1: That was David Collister from Bala Shamrock on his recent win at the Manx Grassland Society's Awards.
0: Did you get a taste of the silage? (gasps) Oh,
1: gosh, no. (laughs) Eh? Eh? John
0: Harris used to taste it. Did he really? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: Well, apparently it's um it smells sweet and if that's if it smells sweet, it's a good thing, but yeah, I didn't taste it at all no.
0: No yeah, it's uh, mighty smell of it. I suppose farmers are used to it, aren't they? but when people go on the on the farms and getting back into your trucks and your cars, you can smell it for ages, can't
1: you? <laughs> oh that's yeah. it, but it's, apparently if it smells good, it, it is uh, good eating quality so um and it doesn't linger apparently either. <laughs>
2: Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual.
0: Well, things over recent years, I suppose, have been a little bit more liberal regarding exportation and importation of animals, especially if you go on a holiday or go on to various places in the UK. Abroad seems to be a little bit of a different matter. But to get more information about changes that have been made to the exportation and importation laws of pets, I spoke to Government
2: Bet... Richard Ashworth. This is nothing that's particularly new. The pet passport scheme, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be familiar with, has been running here and in the UK since before 2002. But like everything else, it's been updated in those years. The last update was 2014 we have incorporated all those latest updates in our new legislation. These um, original rules that were in place, did it get
0: to the stage where people had found loopholes or was it just more of a sort of legal clarity of things?
2: Yeah, it's very much a combination of both, Simon. The loopholes related to people that wanted to travel with more than five pets. They supposedly called them pets, but actually they were trade because they'd be imported dogs and puppies and so on. And secondly, there used to be the requirement that all dogs that had been vaccinated for rabies had to be blood tested to show that that vaccine had taken. Now that we know the vaccines are very successful, that no longer happens. So for a pet passport, your dog or your cat is microchipped, vaccinated for rabies, Your practice vet will provide a pet passport at that time and you can travel with that animal 21 days after the rabies vaccine onto Europe. It does not mean that you need a pet passport for Scotland, England, Wales or Northern Ireland. You do need a pet passport for Southern Ireland because they are a separate EU member state.
0: I suppose the tightening of this regulation is certainly only a good sign for the Isle of Man, because I suppose we're lucky in some respects that we've got a little bit in place before they get to the Isle of Man, is that so?
2: Well, yes, we are quite lucky in that we do not have any direct routes between the Isle of Man and Europe. Any travellers travelling on the ferry from Dover across to Calais, those pets will be checked at those points, Once animals, dogs, cats and uh, ferrets, once they are in free circulation in the UK, they can move freely onto us here in the Isle of Man.
0: What about the diseases that are covered in this? I know, I suppose, most people have just
2: related to rabies. Yeah, rabies is one everybody thinks of. The important thing is that dogs coming from Europe and further afield, but from Europe in particular, need treatment for a tapeworm. Tapeworms called the Kynococcus. It is not present in the Isle of Man. It is not present in the UK. Therefore, because it's present in certain European states, all dogs and cats coming back to the island must be treated for tapeworm by a vet in those countries within three days of travelling back.
0: I suppose that's why the paperwork is so important in a way, because I suppose if you seeing a dog with rabies, you might see some symptoms or something like that, but you wouldn't necessarily
2: see anything with the tapeworm, would you? No, you probably wouldn't, and the dog, dogs especially could be carriers, and the reason everybody is so worried about this echinococcus is it is transmissible to people and will cause problems with liver and kidney in especially young children that are playing with dogs, but certainly it occurs in adults as well. So just to clarify that, we don't really need a passport to
0: tape animals from here to the UK or vice versa but if they're getting anything from Europe or going there on holiday or something you need it. Absolutely yes yes free trade between us and the UK. What about any changes to laws that that,
2: that might concern the farming or agricultural world? Well one of the other um, orders that was brought in into Tinwald this week is the trade in animals and animal products so that does affect farmers this does not influence the current regime we have with trade and movement of animals from the island to the uk or to northern ireland we are part of the same area so all the current health certificates that are provided by your or by the farmers private vets that we issue that will continue exactly as it is the new regulations just draw together the current requirements for trade with a European member state. So if we want to export to Italy, for example, or vice versa, all those animals, all their products, so that means hides, skins, that sort of thing that originate from an animal, must have the correct certification, must be entered on a European-wide computer system called TRACES, so that we are notified of their arrival and more importantly the European system will record all these movements. All
0: the farm animals at
2: the moment have passports though, is that correct? All our cattle have got passports. We're not in the process of providing passports for sheep. Why is that? Well, I wouldn't like to be a farmer with 1,500 sheep and 1,500 passports in the drawer in the kitchen. (laughs) bad enough with 30 or 40 cows to find their passports.
0: But, you know, is there less risk or anything like that, or is it more people would be exporting cattle?
2: No, we have a fair number of sheep exported from the island into the UK. We tend to import cattle from the UK in breeding and production, so that's dairy cattle, or we import semen and so on, obviously, from the UK again, on full certificate. And again, that would be a product. Yeah, but it doesn't come under these regulations because it's with the UK. However, if we import semen from Europe, that will come under these regulations, and it currently does. And whenever our AI service here has a delivery, I check the, all the export paperwork that comes with that, and included in those are the European health certificates that allow that product to travel from a European country into the UK, into their AI centres, and then on to us.
0: So, at the end of the day, it's keeping, hopefully, the Isle of Man safe from any uh, diseases that we don't really would
2: encourage here on the island. It certainly is keeping the Isle of Man free. The major reason that Europe have brought all these regulations in is to ensure that no animals or animal products from outside Europe, so that's any third country, enter into Europe without proper health checks and the proper certification. So that is ensuring that European health status is maintained, which of course ensures that our Health status is maintained.
0: So people with pets or farm animals, if they wanted just a little bit of clarification on the the updated laws that have been put through Tynwald, uh, can they
2: get in touch with DEFA? They can certainly um, get in touch with us here in Animal Health. Firstly, any member of the public that's currently got a pet passport, nothing has changed. That's what I must really reiterate. If a new pet owner wants to travel with their dog or cat to Europe first point of call is their own local vet he has or she has supply of pet passports that we issue they will issue the pet passport and talk you through that farmers exporting or importing at the moment if it's from the UK nothing has changed and we will follow that through exactly as we have always done if you are exporting to Europe or importing from Europe as before Always get in touch with us first, so that we can talk you through that.
0: Richard Ashworth, one of the government vets, with some useful advice there on uh, pet importation and exportation. And uh, well, you don't think of um, you know these you know you you always think of you know a dog coming in with rabies or something. Oh, it's going to be froth in the mouth. Stop, stop that. You know, but tapeworms and things like that, you never th- really think about it. And as Richard was saying there, you know, we're so lucky that we've got that buffer where things coming in from even as far as Australia, New Zealand, and even France and, and parts of Europe, uh, they've got to come to the UK where there's quite a stringent, um, you know, sort of passport control. Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah. uh, and then obviously we've got the, the cushion then of the same happening when they come to the Isle of Man, so it's it's just nice that and you know you, you know yourself with the animals on the farms, mm-hmm. isn't it? If you're buying yeah. one from somewhere, you get a lot more information on it now.
1: Yeah, you get a lot more information before you buy an animal. You get to see it, and also it's a uh, medical history, and it's all safeguarded, and the knowledge is there for us.
0: Yeah, I suppose years ago, um, you look at it, and I thought you know if people were buying something from away, you know now they can sort of go. Do you know this fella? Oh, aye, we know about him, <laughs> but but well, I suppose years ago nobody, nobody knew, knew any, or they this didn't. It. it took ages to get information, but uh, I think probably a good thing. I think I'd say so. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, there we are. Government vet Richard Ashworth, telling us about changes. Um, just, um, I suppose clarifying it and making sure there's no loopholes in the the import and exportation laws of pets to and from the Isle of Man isn't
1: it Yeah especially when there's such an outbreak of puppy farms and and things like that we don't want that here in the Isle of Man no. as well
0: and uh, also Tim Baker um, seems to be uh, getting stuck in to uh, his um, uh, you know Role in defer as well isn't he
1: certainly there's a yeah. lot of good feedback about him and he's very passionate about buying local and it's a good drive forward hopefully
0: and yeah and the grass and you didn't get to eat any
1: no I didn't try any but it, it smelled very good though
0: yeah <laughs> does David eat it himself does <laughs> he ever to?
1: I didn't ask him that but uh, uh, maybe next time I reckon he <laughs>
0: I reckon he does but that's all for this week's countryside <laughs> Country we'll be back next week for more so for me Simon Clark. I'm
1: and me Kerry Gomez see you then bye bye don't sit in the slow lane join the